Good morning, everybody. And uh, we're going to get rocking and rolling here. Um, so last week, if you remember, we, we looked at uh, Colossians, which was a letter written from Paul to the church in Colossae. And I said this week we were going to look at a, um, at a parable, because there's a few different pieces of information you need to know about a parable versus a letter that's written, or, or for instance, poetry, like you read in the Psalms and stuff like that. You study them all a little differently. We're not going to look at all of those. But today, we are going to look at a parable. So let's read it. I picked a parable that I'm assuming most of you are going to know. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I chose that one on purpose because if most of us know it, then we already have a head start on, uh, on starting the, this, this, uh, this study in it. So let's read it. We're going to start just a little bit before it in verse 25. And we're going to read the context right before it and then the actual parable itself. So here we are. We're in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And of course, it's up there as well. It reads... And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is it written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Verse 30 now, here we go. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the, side, on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him, then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So there's going to be a lot of similarities between breaking down this and breaking down another passage of scripture, because it is all scripture. But one of the things that we didn't take a long look at when we looked at the, uh, the, the letter uh, last week was the historical context that surrounds it. No, this doesn't say hysterical context. It's historical. It was pointed out to me that my O looks a little like an E. Sorry. But it's important when you're reading a parable because here's the thing, right? When you're reading a parable, Jesus, by the way, I'll give you the answer to the first one. It's Jesus, in case you couldn't figure that part out, is speaking specifically to a group of people. Now, we're going to find out, you know, who is that group of people? What are they like? But he's speaking to them. Newsflash. Jesus was not speaking to you. He wasn't. Now, that's not to say that it's not important for us to understand. That's not to say that we're not gleaning the same things that they would have gleaned or we're not supposed to learn the same lessons that they learned. But Jesus, when he tells a parable, who is he speaking to? Or when we read he's speaking, who is he talking to? Just as the same as when we looked last week and we didn't focus on this, but Paul did not write a single letter to anybody alive today. 
The letters were not written to you and me. They were written to the church in Rome or to the church in Colossae or to the church in Philippi. Or they were written to Timothy, so on and so forth. They're important. And we glean the same things out of them, but it's important to know who is he talking to because they would have understood the specific context for things. And if you're truly going to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to have a working knowledge. You don't have to be a scholar, but you have to have a working knowledge of that stuff. So the first one, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is our speaker. Who is he talking to? A scholar, a lawyer, a Pharisee. They all basically mean the same thing. The word says a lawyer, so we'll put down the word lawyer. But essentially, this is a guy who would have known the scriptures. And he's trying to, what does it say? He's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap him, trying to get him to, to, to stumble over what he's saying. Jesus is speaking to a larger crowd as a whole here, if you read a little bit further back, but this specific parable is an answer to a lawyer or a Pharisee. Now, we're going to hop over here to characters, but also historical context, because they're kind of one and the same. So, when I ask for characters, I'm not asking for Jesus or the lawyer. Who are our characters in the actual parable? A robber, yeah, thief, or thieves. Did I... Is it E-I or I-E? E-I. Knew I spelled it wrong. I before E except after C or whenever they want to do it differently. Exactly. There's a thief. Now, why is that important? What's our historical context for the thief? It's the same historical context. I'm going to give you another character that we have. It's our, uh, our, our guy that gets robbed. The man. The man. The traveler. Yeah. Now, this road, and this is where the historical context comes in. This road that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho is a steep road. I'm going to put the word road here just so that we see it. Is a steep road with tons of rocks on each side. You didn't travel this road alone because it was a den of thieves and robbers and murderers. They just laid in wait for you to come. This was a real road. Yes, the parable is a fake story. But this road is a real road that still exists today. Now it's in much better condition. But what is a real road. And so when he says this road going from Jerusalem to Jericho, everybody that's listening, including the lawyer, would have gone, ah, I know this road. Makes sense that he gets robbed. They also would have gone, and this is something that gets glossed over a lot, why did this idiot go alone? You don't go alone on this road. You travel with a group of people so that the robbers don't happen. It's important to know that because it sets the whole, it sets the scene, right? If you go to a play or a musical or a movie or anything, a TV show, everything has a scene, a setting. So he puts it in a setting that they understand and that you need to understand so that you know this is not just a random thing. This happened multiple times a day, every day. What else? Who, what are our other characters in our story? A priest, yep. Priest, what's our historical context for them? What do they do? What's their role in society? Sounds like a trick question. It's not. They offer the sacrifices. Yeah. She said they offer. I'm going to try to remember to say things out loud that everybody said. They offer sacrifices. Yes. Boil it down to one main thing. What is it that the priest is in charge of in the everyday life of the common man? The mediator. Yes. In short, right? He's their spiritual leader. 
he's their pastor. Now, obviously, I don't, I don't, sorry, guys, I don't sacrifice goats over in the parsonage for you guys. But he's their spiritual leader. He's the one they would have looked up to for guidance. And he's the one that the lawyer would have assumed would have been the first to help this man. Now, he doesn't. We'll talk about that in a second. Who else? Who else? What other characters do we have? A Levite. Yep. We're not going to talk a bunch about the Levite. He's very similar to the priest, but he took care of a lot more of the day-to-day operations in the temple. The tribe of Levi and the men that came from there were in charge of more of the day-to-day operations in the temple. Now, priests came from that as well, but you're just your normal Levite. So he's another one. Both of these men, and I'm assuming they're men, the Bible doesn't necessarily say, but by historical context and understanding of the day, they would have been men would have understood the law, and that's going to come into play later. They're going to understand the law. And who's our last real character? We have the innkeeper, but we don't need to spend time on him because he's not really important. What is it? You said it out loud. This good Samaritan. Yep. What do we know about Samaritans? They're despised. Yep. Samaritans are hated. Do we know anything else about Samaritans? That's the biggest piece of information that needs to be known. Mm. They offer sacrifices in the wrong place. And what she means by that is they didn't offer sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. Back before the temple in Jerusalem is built, there were many, they're called high places. And if you go back throughout the Old Testament, you can read about these things. Uh, They're high places where you would go to sacrifice. Sometimes it was over a battlefield. Sometimes it was where God did something incredible, things like that. But once the temple was built, God says, you sacrifice in the temple. That is where I will be. That is where my presence will be. You sacrifice there. Now, here's the problem. We always make fun, or not make fun of, but we point out the Samaritans sacrificed in the wrong place. Here's the problem. The Jews wouldn't let them because the Jews hated them. So are they doing the wrong thing? Yes. But also the Jews aren't letting them do the right thing. It's not as important for our story, but it's important to understand. So yeah, that's our hatred. So those are our main, our main players in our story. It's important to understand the dynamic between these, 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 these men. So as Jesus is talking, he goes, all right. So, so remember, he says, what is, the, what is it? What's the, uh, how do I gain eternal life? And, and, Christ, and, the, and, the, and the, the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, you know, yada, yada, yada. And love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. And Jesus says, yep, if you do that, you will have eternal life. Great. But seeking to justify himself. I love that. How many of you seek to justify yourself? Right? We all do it. He's going, crap. I was trying to test. I got caught. I have to worm my way out of this. Seeking to justify himself, he goes, but who is my neighbor? Because he's going, well, it can't be a Samaritan. Samaritan's not my neighbor. And, you know, those, 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 those Moabites, they're not my neighbor. And the people I don't like that are Jews, they're not my neighbors. It's just, it, you know, it's all right. I show love to certain people. They're my neighbors. It'll be fine. And that's when Jesus jumps into the story. So, observations and conclusions. Let's go. What do you observe from this passage? And what can you conclude from what is said there? That's the whole crux of it. You're, everybody's your neighbor. 
if you hadn't noticed, I was almost writing number. Um, everybody is your neighbor, but if you hadn't noticed, I'm not great at spelling or grammar. So, sorry. Yeah, that's the whole crux of this story. Jesus is going, I'm going to show you that everybody is your neighbor. Every single person that you meet. So you're supposed to love them. Let's start with what are some observations that we can make about the priest? This isn't a trick question. You don't have to think way too deep. What does the priest do? He avoids the trouble, walks on the other side. Priest avoids the trouble. So we make that observation. Why? Why does the priest walk by on the other side? And it goes deeper than just, he's not my neighbor. Well, the Samaritan is not a guy that, we don't know that the guy that was beaten is a Samaritan. In fact, I would make the case that he's a Jew since it's the Samaritan that helps him and it's such a big deal. The Samaritan the, is, is the not beaten guy. He's a good guy. What were you going to say? Yeah. So here's what she's saying. And this is where I said it's important that the priest especially understands the law. Do you know how many laws there are, not in America, but in the Jewish world? Almost 500. Most of them are not found in Scripture. Most of them are laws that the Pharisees looked at and went, well, we need to control our people. And the Bible kind of implies something close to this, so we'll just make it a law. But one of the laws is, if he goes up to this man who's on the ground, and remember, it says he's half dead, but he probably looks bloody and beaten, his clothes are torn, he probably looks dead, at least from a distance. One of the laws is, and this is where it's important to have a good study Bible, I didn't know this stuff just off the top of my head. This is where the context and studying more than just what this Bible strictly says, but looking at other commentaries and stuff and bringing it in comes into play. If he touches a dead body, he is unclean for a minimum of a week, cannot perform his duties as a priest until he is again clean, and that takes a whole process as well. So, we always say the priest is this horrible, horrible person. And you know what? He should have helped. I'm not saying he shouldn't have helped. But he justified himself for two reasons. The first one we just said, because he's going to be unclean. As he's walking by, he goes, if I touch this guy, and he is dead, well, I can't perform the duties that God himself has told me to do. I can't touch him. I better pass by on the other side. What's the second reason? And this is a very, um, this is the same reason for the Levite, and it will be a reason that the Samaritan shouldn't do it, but he does anyway. What's the second reason? Most of the time, what happened was you left a body out there for somebody to help them, and when somebody went and helped them, they too got ambushed. So it's not safe for him to help this guy either. So when you understand that he's unclean and unsafe, we see that the priest has two excellent reasons for not helping this guy. Or does he? Because let's be honest, God would have been way more happy with him if he had helped him. A week's worth of possible, a possible week's worth of being unclean is not nearly as important as showing love. All right, let's move on to the Levite. What observations can we make about the Levite? Again, this is the same as the priest. He walks by on the other side, exactly. The Levite avoids trouble. 
And you know what? He has the same reasons as this guy. But the observation you make between this is, you've got your pastor in the priest, your spiritual leader, the one who's supposed to be leading, understanding of the law and showing, here's the thing, by that point, the law had become a hindrance. The law was set in place to show righteousness in a way that we can't, but the Pharisees had taken it so far out of what it was originally supposed to be that now it was hindering righteousness instead of helping it. And we see that the priest walks by. He's the one that's supposed to be the spiritual leader. He doesn't do it. The Levite, I said, he's kind of in charge of the temple. He makes sure that that's good. So he's another figure. Think of him as your deacon or your trustee. That's kind of a modern day equivalent to what we have. It helps also to put this in a modern day story. What would it be like if he told it today? Let me tell it to this point. A man was an idiot and went down into the slums of Wilkes-Barre by himself. Gets the snot beat out of him. Everything he has is taken from him. He's laying in the gutter, bloody, beaten, half dead. The pastor from the local big church that everybody knows comes walking by and goes, Oh man, you know what? I'm supposed to be at church in 10 minutes. I can't stop and help this guy. What will my congregation do without me? I have to lead them. I better go. Deacon and a trustee come up and they're like, oh, you know what? We've got a meeting in three minutes where we're discussing the future of this church. I've got to go. I can't be, I can't do it. Now, let's make some observations about our third party, the Samaritan. What's different about the Samaritan? He has compassion. He stops. He has no pretenses, yeah. He's not really scared of being unclean. He's just your average bloke in the Samaritan world. He's not a Jew. But he does have to fear being unsafe, right? But he goes anyway. Now what else, what other observations can we make about the Samaritan? Uh, look at what he's got with him. It says there, hang on, I've got to find it, the right verse. Uh, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. What does it say about the Samaritan that he has bandages, oil, and wine? And money. He had something to lose. That's not where I was going, but I love that. Yeah. I like that. He definitely has something to lose. What? He was prepared. He knows what this road is. And one other one, based upon the fact that he's able to just give away two denarii, he's got money. That goes into the, he has something to lose. He's got some money on him. It doesn't mean that he's the richest man in the world, but he has at least some money on him. Now, whether he's rich beyond belief, we don't know. It's possible that this man is able to carry this money because he's a merchant. So he's got the money on him already, which would mean then, right, when he goes to the inn and gives away these two denarii and says, listen, and on my way back, I will pay whatever else there is, it means he's giving out of his own profits to help a man he's never met and is most likely a Jew. It's very possible, exactly. He's on this road before. He's a regular traveler, yeah, yeah. He's an honorable man, yeah, yeah. Now here's the thing, the Bible doesn't tell us this, and again, this is a fake story, right? That's why it's a parable, but it's based on real life events. Do you guys like those types of movies? Based on a true story. 
This is based on a true story that happens a lot. The ending is different a lot of the time, but it's based on a true story. And put yourself in the Samaritan shoes and the conversation he would have had within himself. This is where you come into Bible study. Where you put yourself in their shoes. You're walking down this road. First off, you're going at it alone, which is probably a mistake, but you're well prepared. The Bible doesn't say it, but I would guess if he travels this road often, it means he probably has some sort of weapon on him to protect himself. And here he sees this man who is of his most hated enemy. Put yourself in his shoes. The man that's lying on the ground in Wilkes-Barre is a Muslim, very obviously. The pastor walked by, the deacon and trustee walked by, and now you, for some reason, are walking through there. Not a rhetorical question, I want an actual answer. What is the inner dialogue that goes on? Do I stop? What do I have to gain? What do I have to lose? What are my friends going to say when I show up late to the Christmas party? Mm -hmm. We're all, and I'm not going to say we could be. I will say this. We are all each one of these people at different points in our lives. You see, it's easy when you're studying the Bible to just look at all of this information. And information is important. I love facts and information. But it's easy when you look at all of this information and you go, well, that's nice. I should be a neighbor. Walk away. But take that time to put yourself in their shoes. The priest had ample reason to not stop. He had a vocational reason not to stop. He had a physical reason not to stop. The Levite, the same. You will always have reasons not to stop. And you will only ever have one reason to stop. And it's in that last verse. Verse 37, and he said, the one who showed mercy toward him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's your one reason for stopping. If you see when we break down a parable like this, it's important to understand who we're talking about. It's important to understand who we're talking to, what's going on. What would they have understood this story as? Not just, oh, well, we, it's, it's obvious to us. It's, it, this is one of the more obvious parables. Sometimes Jesus tells a parable, and the meaning, you sit there and you go, what? This is one of the more obvious ones, and it's good because you don't want to miss this. It's the very first one. You don't want to miss the point of the parable when you're studying it. Everybody is your neighbor. Show them mercy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone is your neighbor. But don't just stop there. Start digging down underneath it and going, you know what? This Samaritan, look at that. Look at what we made. Now, yeah, he's a fake guy. But we can make some inferences on if this was a real story. He's on a road where people are killed every day. These people that pass them by, this lawyer, he would have been smacked in the face by the fact that a, a priest and a Levite passed by on the other side. Because if this was just a multiple choice question, right, of a man is dying on the side of the road after being robbed. There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Who's going to help him? Samaritan would have been the last answer. 
but it's the right one in this case. It's important also to understand why God, why Christ chooses to use a Samaritan as the hero. Because just as much as the priest and the Levite walking by is a slap in the face, the fact that this poor guy, notice, he can't even say it was the Samaritan. He has to word it as the one who showed mercy on him because to say, well, the Samaritan would have broken every cultural and, and historical idea that this guy had about how horrible these people are. He can't do it. And so Christ uses, and you read this in a lot of the parables, he will use the one thing that the person or people he is talking to cannot get, cannot understand, or cannot abide by to show them what Christ, what God truly meant in verses. Search that out a little bit. Don't force it in there, but search it out a little bit and go, okay, what is this? What is this? The Bible never says more than it says, but it does say more than you see. Remember that as you read a passage, as you work through a passage. Get yourself, we're going to be, we're going to be done with this, uh, with this sermon series. Maybe in a few months, we'll do another one like this, where we'll all sit together and break it apart. I kind of like it. I hope you guys do. If you couldn't hear him, he said, he goes much more above and beyond what, sh what he should have had to do. If he was, right, because we, we do this a lot as well as Christians. This is great. That's great. We do this a lot. We go, well, look what I did. I did the bare minimum. I bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on him so they don't get as infected. It'll be fine. Or you know what? We go to the second. Hang on one second. I'll come to you. We go to the second one. And we go, okay, I put him on my mule and carried him into town. That's nice. But this guy, the Samaritan, goes the whole way. He pays for him in the inn, says make sure he gets taken care of, and then he goes, and if this costs more than what I've given you, when I come back through, which tells us that he is a traveler of some kind, when I come back through, I will pay the debt. This Samaritan doesn't just stop at being a kind neighbor. He goes above and beyond to being the loving neighbor. Because you know what? If he were in his shoes, he knows, I would want somebody to bandage my wounds, to, make me, to, to bring me into the inn, into town, and pay for me. That's great. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. I like that. She says she said that the, 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 the lawyer is trying to narrow down the focus. He wants to put aside as many people as he can from being his neighbor. It makes it easier. If I only have to be a neighbor to the people that I enjoy being with, I can do that most of the time. But when I have to be a neighbor to the whole world, which is what Christ is saying here, you can't do that. She said, yeah, I love it. The, 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 fair, the, the lawyer is narrowing the focus while Christ is widening it, out, widening it out. I like that. I love it. We're going to be done. We've run a little long. That's all right. I planned on that this week. Dig into what the word of God says. Here's the thing. I was listening to something this, this on Friday. Because a lot of the times Christians tend to be afraid of facts. Because we feel that facts, a lot of times, especially like scientific facts or historical facts, they can contradict what the Bible says. But he said this, truth is never afraid of facts. 
And we know the Bible is truth. So bring the facts into it. The facts that this road exists today. If you went to Jerusalem, you could see where this road was. You could stand there and go, look at this. But at the same token, don't be like me and get so wrapped up in facts that sometimes you miss what's right in front of your face with a passage of scripture. That's why I said last week, and I'll encourage you again, spend a whole week in a few verses. Day one, start with that surface level. Get what is the obvious meaning. Then start diving down deeper into it and understanding a little bit more. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Your eyes are opened. Here's the last thing I'll leave you with. This has been great. You can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. You could know every fact there is to know in the world. You could be able to read it in the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. But you will not understand it without the Holy Spirit opening up the truths, the mysteries to you. Some of those mysteries aren't going to be opened. Some of them just aren't going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said that, that yeah, you know, we need to remember that you need to... Um, this, this Samaritan, he relieves, right? He relieves all the physical discomforts of this man as best as he can. You know, he's still been beaten and robbed, so you're still going to have some physical discomfort. But can't forget what the spiritual nature of this stuff is. The Samaritan never talks spiritual with this man, be he a Jew, a Samaritan, or what have you. But he makes an impact in his life nonetheless. And when you're a neighbor to somebody, whether it be through a physical mean, through a spiritual mean, through a mental mean, whatever it be, you are making an impact in the spiritual world, and you can't forget that. I like that, yeah. When you start your day, and I, I recommend you start your day with studying Scripture, even if it's only for five minutes. Yeah, we took 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Even if it's only five minutes, start your day with it. And before you even begin, say, God, open up my eyes. Use your spirit to open my eyes because I can't see it. I have a finite mind. I have a human mind. I'm going to bring my own ideas, my own uh, presupp uh, presuppositions. I'm going to bring everything from my life into it, but I want to make sure I'm getting out of it what you put into it, not what I'm putting into it. And watch as Christ does some incredible stuff and opens your eyes. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you. Thank you for, for this. Thank you for Bible study. Thank you that we, we get the chance to know your word. Yeah, it was incredible to have you walking on this earth for 33 about years. But you know what? You told us that what's coming is way better through the Holy Spirit and then, and then through your word as well. Help us to study it. Help us to, to let it be a lamp unto our feet, to divide its word into our hearts, to use it. God, your word says that it's a sword. But you know what? A sword in the hands of an untrained person, they're more likely to hurt themselves than the enemy. So help us to train diligently every day, breaking down your word, studying it with everything we've got. We praise you, Father. We love you. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.